Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 196. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. The 2022 election is finally over. Well, sort of. And because of that sort of especially, now is definitely a time to stay vigilant. There is one race in our state that is going to be moving to the December 6th runoff. That is the race for the United States Senate between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Yep, it ain't over. Much was decided on election night, and much has been decided as of my recording this on the night of Wednesday, November 9th. But much has not. It looks like the GOP will take over the House, but narrowly. And as of this recording, the Democrats have 189 seats, Republicans have 207, and they need 218 and will likely get it. And in the Senate, it's right now, amazingly, 48 to 48, with Arizona, Alaska, and Nevada all very close and yet to be called, and with Georgia headed to an epic runoff on December 6th. So after all this, the fate of the Senate and this entire election will likely come down to a runoff between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker in Georgia on December 6th. That means we will know the result on December 7th, which is D-Day. D-Day is December 7th, the anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and that will likely be the day we finally know the results of the 2022 election. And it's possible that even after all that, we could have a 50-50 Senate that would have to be tipped by the vote of the Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris. And so as badly as we want it all to be over, it's not. And it likely won't be until December 6th, almost exactly two years to the day that violent extremists launch an insurrection to overthrow our government. So yes, we should all feel a little better about our democracy today. If only because so many election deniers were defeated and there was no notable violence anywhere. That is a true testament to America. Yes, no violence across the country at our elections is a testament to America. But even more so, it's a testament to the FBI, to the military, to law enforcement, and to countless other men and women holding the line in ways we'll never know about. No violence, thankfully. But we can't spike the ball just yet. There's been no violence so far. And Carrie Lake will not accept the results in Arizona, and she'll make that state ground zero. Georgia will be contested, maybe other states too. Then, as early as next week, Trump will declare he's running for president, with the potential to direct the American insurgency to all of them, to Arizona, to Georgia, or to whatever state he chooses. So yes, the big story after this election is that it was generally peaceful and that the widely predicted red wave didn't happen. But in November, two years ago, right after the election, the big story was that Biden had beaten Trump. Two months later, the big story was that Trump would leave. And we got January 6th. So this election and its impacts are still very far from over. And yes, there is reason to celebrate. But there's no reason to spike the ball or let our guard down. Because the outcomes of our elections aren't just political issues anymore. The outcomes of our elections are national security issues. At breakfast today, my little boys, aged three and seven, asked me who won last night. Did the good guys win, Daddy, or did the bad guys win? I told them it's a little more complicated than that. 
But let me explain it to you this way. Lots of Joe Biden's friends won. And lots of Donald Trump's friends lost. And they understood what that meant. And we now all understand that the results were a major blow to the GOP that had embraced Trump. One GOP operative was quoted as saying, if it wasn't clear before, it should be clear now. We have a Trump problem. Unfortunately, it's not only the GOP that has a Trump problem. America has a Trump problem. Even if he doesn't win the nomination or the White House, the damage he can and will continue to do to our country is tremendous. He continues to be the leader of what I've called the American insurgency, and he's the single greatest threat to our national security. Never forget this. The threat of what Trump has created is greater and more difficult to eliminate than anything else we face in America right now. And Vladimir Putin and our enemies around the world, foreign and domestic, are counting on it. Even though our election is over, sort of, our enemies are celebrating. And stakes have never been higher. Election day has passed, but the stakes are high and will stay there every day until the next election in two years and likely beyond that, too. High stakes is our new normal. Many states in America are getting bluer and redder. That we saw. So the balkanization of America is accelerating. And that's bad for America. The divisions are growing deeper, more intense. And folks all across the country are digging in. And the American insurgency is rising and maybe surging even more because of the results of the election. And even before folks went to the polls, there was danger. You probably didn't see this, but last Thursday, Pentagon police arrested a guy who drove through two checkpoints and said he was trying to kill people. The attacker made it through two checkpoints at the Pentagon. And attacks like this continue to be underreported, as so many security and defense issues are. Like the fact that on Election Day, U.S. troops were securing the elections across 14 states in cyberspace. Earlier this year, the National Guard completed support for 10 states, Colorado, Florida, Hawaii, Iowa, Illinois, Louisiana, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Washington, and West Virginia. It spanned all kinds of agencies, like Arizona's Department of Homeland Security, secretaries of state and their respective departments and boards of elections. And 14 states have ongoing cyber and election security support. Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Iowa, Illinois, Louisiana, North Carolina, New Mexico, New York, Pennsylvania, Washington, and West Virginia. So one of the most underreported stories of this election season was all the defensive measures that we never saw and the offensive attacks and disruptions that didn't succeed. Cyber attacks that we may never know about and the flood of Russian bots and disruptors that flooded social media this week and Twitter especially. Where Twitter's new owner and asshole in chief, Elon Musk, decided that right before the election, he had a message for you and for me. Elon Musk tweeted just before the election to independent minded voters shared power curbs the worst excesses of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for a Republican Congress, given the presidency is Democratic. Hardcore Democrats or Republicans never vote for the other side. So independent voters are the ones who actually decide who's in charge. So to all independent-minded voters, I suggest you ignore political advice from this guy. Truly independent Americans don't need to be told how to vote by anybody, and especially not by someone who doesn't seem to have a patriotic bone in his body and has a growing love fest with Vladimir Putin. Because as we all focused on our local election this week, meanwhile, in Russia, Putin's crony, Yevgeny Pragosin, 
said this about American elections out in the open. He said, we have interfered. We're interfering and will continue to interfere carefully, precisely, surgically, and in our own way. We know how to do it. He said this out in the open. He was quoted in international media. Russia didn't meddle in our elections in 2016 and the elections since. Russia attacked them. And they were telling us out in the open that they were planning to do it again now. This shit is bigger than partisan politics and snarky Twitter madness. This is and should be a national security priority, not just on Election Day, but always. Because Election Day is not the end. It's just a new beginning. And also, hopefully now, not a new beginning for support for Ukraine. Because after Kevin McCarthy recently said that if he became House Majority Leader, he would not have a, quote, blank check for Ukraine, the only people happier than the Democrats with this election are the Ukrainians. This election result is a win for them. The election result is a win for Ukraine, who continues to look more American than America on most days. But this election was also a win for a number of issues and people we've covered on this show. Legalizing marijuana is a winning issue in purple states. We found that out this week, and especially with independent Americans. Ask John Fetterman, who pulled it out in Pennsylvania. He pulled it out and beat Dr. Oz. He overcame a stroke, he overcame the division, and he pulled it off with probably the biggest Senate win in America so far. But a massively underreported part of his win, an issue the parties are still too scared to embrace, is legalizing marijuana, which was a winner in this election. Other winners related to this show Pat Ryan won again in New York's 18th district now after winning the 19th district this summer and joining us on this show right after. His was one of many districts that got redistricted, but he pulled it off again, winning in another close race with a lot of independent messages, as we explained on this show. And there were other wins. We told you about a guy you should watch, the inspiring Wes Moore. And our friend Wes Moore who's been a guest on this show and was our 10th guest ever, will be the new governor of Maryland. I grew up in a family of people who love this country, even when the country didn't always love him back. And my entire life has taught me that patriotism does not mean waving a flag around. It doesn't mean telling our neighbors that we're better than them. Patriotism isn't a boast. It isn't self-righteous. You cannot love your country if you hate half of the people in it. Wes Moore has done it, and he is coming, folks. We talked about it on this show repeatedly and at length, and he's redefining patriotism in a way that is overdue, powerful, and inspiring. And there might be another important and inspiring win coming out of the election. Nevada. In the state of Nevada, there was a ballot initiative to establish open primaries and ranked choice voting. And the good news is that as of right now, in my recording it, the ballot initiative is winning 51.7% to 48.3%. So this would change the entire voting system in Nevada where voters could select candidates from any party and rank choice general elections, where voters rank their choices among the top five candidates who advance from the primary. Much more than a third party led by former Republicans and Democrats, what independents need most is to be empowered now in open primaries in every state in America. We've talked about it on this show at length. We've talked about it with John Updike, and we'll continue to talk about it. But that could be a huge win in Nevada for independents there and everywhere. 
but there were also losses. And a big one was Evan McMullen in Utah. After a really hard-fought race, McMullen lost, showing Utah is still a very red place. But he had the best showing by a non-Republican in Utah since 1976. The Independent, who got Democratic support, lost. But he gave it a hell of a fight. And we'll see what happens to Evan McMullen now. But a win would have crowned Evan McMullen as the true national leader of independent Americans. And the loss leaves us kind of leaderless. And no, it's not Andrew Yang, as we've talked about on this show. And The Rock will be staying on the sidelines. So will anyone emerge? Watch this space and keep listening to this pod. But the big winners in this election is a group that most folks aren't talking about. It wasn't a red wave or a blue wave, but it was a camouflage wave. Over 92 veterans from both parties were elected this week, with likely more to come. Democrats like Wes Moore, Pat Ryan, Tammy Duckworth in Illinois, Mark Kelly in Arizona. And from the Republican side, J.D. Vance with a massive win in Ohio, Ron DeSantis with a resounding win in Florida. That's were big winners. The red wave didn't happen, but the camo wave did. So just before Veterans Day this Friday, veterans were the big winner on Election Day. Veterans might be getting together this Friday for Veterans Day, but soon they'll be facing off again all across the country in elections for decades to come. Because even veterans are not immune to the great fragmenting that continues across our politics. They may even fuel it. Because the truth of the election this week is that America is deeply, deeply divided. And that fragmentation of this country, that division of this country, will continue. The real story of the election is that America is still deeply divided. And half the country is not happy this week. Again, and anger and division is the story of our lives in America now. And if you're feeling like it's not, just wait a few more days. Because President Mayhem is back. Trump is back. And we all know what that means for our politics. But what does it mean for the 2024 election? What does it mean for a likely matchup of him against Biden? What does it mean for a possible run by an independent for president? And what does this whole midterm election mean? What's its place in history? Is history repeating itself? Or are we really starting over? Are we starting over? Who better to ask than our guest in this episode? Michael Beschloss. This might not be an easy time. There's rivers across and hills to climb. The great Michael Beschloss. He's won an Academy Award, and he serves as the NBC News presidential historian. He also contributes to PBS NewsHour and is the author of nine best-selling books, including Presidential Courage, Brave Leaders and How They Changed America. Jacqueline Kennedy, Historic Conversations on Life with JFK. And two volumes on President Lyndon Johnson's secret White House tapes. He also has the largest Twitter following of any historian on earth. And in a Twitterverse filled with bots and hate and nastiness and Elon Musk's fuckery, Michael Beschloss remains a reason to be on that website pouring out amazing historic photos and perspective. Michael Beschloss is a man of wisdom. He's also a father and a generous, kind, and nice man. And exactly the kind of person we need to hear from right now. On this show over the last couple of months, we've had professors of nukes, professors of war, business, politics, and professors of history and experts on America like Ken Burns in our last episode. And now, we've got another. Michael Beschloss is truly 
an important, inspiring, and iconic American that is shaping what America's been, what it is, and what it will be. And he is truly an independent American. This is going to be a conversation that'll help you get smarter, predict better, understand our history, and of course, stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And this week, we saw what can happen if we're willing to pay that price. But is history repeating itself? Or are we really starting over? I can be your lucky penny. You can be my four-leaf clover. Starting over. So welcome to a conversation about our history and about our future. Welcome to Veterans Week. Welcome to the end of election season 2022 and the beginning of election season 2024. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 196. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to the days after. Here we sit after the most consequential midterm election of our time and the presidential has unofficially begun. And I can think of no more appropriate, uh, insightful, inspiring, um, thoughtful guests to join us than a man that I have tremendous respect for. I've been honored to call a friend, and I think is a conscience for all of America, especially in, in a time like this, the great and powerful Michael Beschloss finally joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, sir. I absolutely love it, Paul. And uh, I should have put a disclaimer up here at the beginning. Uh, a, right back at you. B, thank you for the nice comment. And C, every no, everyone should know that we are recording this uh, the morning after the midterm election of what you're right in calling historic 2022. So if either of us really screws up, we can chalk the, you never will, I might, I'll just chalk it up to lack of sleep, I hope. Well, we were both uh, up late um, right. in the holding pattern or on air and doing the work that we both do. Um, and I wanna talk about all of that. It's also um, a couple of days before Veterans Day. I'd like to get your perspective on that. It's also, you know, the other epic clash that uh, America should be watching and, and isn't is the great Williams Amherst matchup in football that will be happening. Who, who says that no one is watching this, Paul? You're, you know, <laughs> this is as we're from rival colleges, Williams and Amherst. This is one thing we can agree on, which is that the entire world comes to a stop the day of the Williams Amherst football game. Well, in, in your honor, uh, I've worn my Amherst T-shirt for folks who are watching on video over my shoulder. I've got my. My, my real Amherst football helmet. And in the far back, I've got an, a, a mammoth, an Amherst mammoth, because we are no longer the Lord Jeffs. We are now the mammoths. You were nice enough and kind enough to come speak to my class last fall at Amherst when I was teaching time. on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. But um, I've been really just honored and thankful to know you. Um, Same and, here. Same here, Paul. And can, can I ask you, you know, here we are uh, the, the day after. Uh, I, I'm so thankful that we've got this precious time with you. Um, what do you make of all of it? Uh, I think the big thing, well, a couple of things. Number one, as you know, there's this historical pattern, which is amazingly strong, which is that two years after a presidential election, the president loses a lot of seats in Congress. A uh, big recent example, 1994, when Bill Clinton was elected uh, in 92, 94, the Republicans said, 
vote us into Congress for the first time in decades, and we will cut Bill Clinton's presidency in half. And they almost did. They had great big gains. Newt Gingrich became speaker. Bob Dole was the Republican uh, leader in the Senate. And it was so bad for Clinton that a couple of months after that election at a press conference, Clinton was actually asked, Mr. President, are you relevant? Because the, the power seemed to have shifted so much to Capitol Hill. As it turns out, uh, he made a lot of deals with Gingrich and Dole and brought us a balanced budget, welfare bill, other things that might not have happened. But the point is that that's much more the rule than what we had seen last night and today. Uh, so, you know, was there a big gain of seats in both houses by the Republicans? We, here we are the morning after, but it sure doesn't look that way. And given the headwinds that the Democrats were facing, you know, economy, you know, a lot of things that were, that people felt that they were going badly, people are going through, as you well know, we both do a lot of hardship right now. Uh, this, this was something I have to tell you, I did not foresee that, foresee that the Democrats would do as well as they did. Mm. And I have to say, uh, again, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this business where we always say that takes at least 50 years to figure out a president because you need sources and diaries and you also need hindsight. So here I am trying to explain something that happened 12 hours ago, but that has never stopped me before. What I would say was that that Joe Biden uh, took a big gamble by saying in that speech in Philadelphia and at a couple of other venues, the big issue this year is democracy. Are we going to keep it or not? And I would say, meaning I myself, I'm not speaking for Biden, obviously, or anyone else, that had the Republicans taken over today in a very big way, you would have Donald Trump essentially declaring himself the new king of America, giving orders to a Speaker of the House. So the result is that the difference between that very great possibility and what has happened now is. I know you were saying you were you were having your children watch what was going on last night, and uh, someday they will know how unusual this was. Mm. Yeah, my kids are seven and three, and when they woke up this morning, they asked me, you know, did the good guys win or did the bad guys win? And, mm -hmm. I, and I tried to frame it differently, and I said, right. um, Joe Biden's friends won and Donald Trump's friends lost. And, and, I, and I wonder, um, you know, I keep reflecting on what could have been. And I was one of many independents who were saying that I thought the Democrats only shot to beat Trump was with Biden. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it could have been Bernie Sanders. Right. And Bernie Sanders wouldn't have beaten Trump. He wouldn't have gotten through this legislative agenda. He wouldn't have attracted independent Americans in the way that I think Biden and the Democrats have been able to do. But it also. It feels like a time, Michael, where it's it's and maybe it's always been like this. Um, it's it's a lesser of two evils every time. Oh, and nice. and so many independent Americans in particular said, yeah, I'm, I don't like Biden and I don't like the Democrats. But Trump is so much worse. Um, so can you frame up for us, you know, how big is this for Biden? And and in your view, you know, is there any other um Democratic leader that that could have done this, and and what does that tell us? Well, I want to go deeper and specifically into what's to come in the presidential. Um, but but this is a, the the rise of the moderates, which feels like was so important in places like New York's uh, uh, mayoral election with Eric Adams and other signals. Because sure. the pollsters, if anything, died last night. It should be polling, right? Because they haven't been right. But what can you draw from all those other pieces that are around Biden's? Um, unique victory? Well, I think basically the fact of what did not happen. Uh, I, for instance, felt and, you know, still feel that what will turn out to be important about the election of this week is the fact that had it gone a certain way, our democracy could be in real danger. You know, I've been looking forward so much to you and my talking this morning and I thought there was a serious possibility that we would be talking this morning 
for your great podcast about the fact that our rule of law might be in danger, our system of free and fair elections might be in danger, and that that would be the historical significance of the election of 2022. Um, I do not advise Joe Biden. I, I don't know him well, but I do know that he agrees with that, as you heard in that speech in Philadelphia and somewhere else. Mm. And I think if he gets credit for something, therefore, it is for speaking frankly about this was. Because a lot of his advisors, and I don't have a sense of where the preponderance was, but he had a lot of advisors close to him and otherwise saying, please don't talk about democracy. It's a term that people argue over. They don't know what it is necessarily. It sounds almost bureaucratic. Uh, and people are suffering. There's terrible inflation. There are all sorts of other things in their lives that are much more immediate. They will think that you were out of touch and why are you talking about these high-flown ideas of democracy versus a possible authoritarian state? And I think what he did was, I think he took the position that, you know, I mentioned 1860 and 1940. Lincoln was urged in 1860 by some advisors not to say, as he had two years earlier, nation can't survive half slave or half free. You'll alienate people who like slavery who might still vote for you. So why not keep it a little bit more general? Talk about land-grant colleges, which Lincoln felt very strongly about. And Lincoln, being who he was, said essentially it would be false while the nation is facing probably the biggest danger in its history since the beginning, which is the South's threatening to secede and a total difference between North and South over the issue of slavery. He would have said a serious leader talks about that and addresses it and says, I think you'll vote for me to, to keep the country together. And if not, you should know what I stand for. That, that's what a great leader does. Mm. And in 1940, Franklin Roosevelt was running for a third term against w Wendell Wilkie. And Wilkie actually pretty much agreed with Roosevelt that the next president might well have to stand up, up to Adolf Hitler and send brave young Americans overseas to risk their lives, and maybe even against Imperial J J Japan. Wilkie was milking the isolationist issue and saying, elect me, because if you left, if you elect FDR, some of Wilkie's speakers literally said he will plow under every fourth American boy. And that's mm -hmm. how gross and ugly that campaign was. Mm -hmm. So Wilkie was almost tied with Roosevelt, October of 1940, and say, you know, Please give an isolationist speech. Promise you will not get us involved in the war. And Roosevelt didn't do it. He said, you know, I may lose, but at least I'll lose on the real issue. So you look at the lesson of what happened in America in the midterm elections yesterday, and I'm a registered independent just like you, so this is not a partisan comment. But Joe Biden said, years from now, historians will not be looking at necessarily the problems that people are suffering with, but they will say, how can you deal with the economy if you have no democracy? Mm, mm. I, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're focused on that because Democrats love to spike the ball before the game is over. And what I feel right now is that this is so much bigger than just the election because what we've got now with Trump is what I've called an American insurgency. It is it is a movement. It is violent. It is focused on overthrowing the government. And we've seen as, as we have seen. Right. Where this yeah. is not just Paul and Michael chatting. That's right. what happened on January. Well, 6th. What, I, what I what I worry about and I want to you know really kind of probe on is Georgia will be contested through December. Right. Carrie Lake has said she will not accept the results in 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 Arizona. And there is a group of people waiting to be deployed. And we had the great Ken Burns on last week, and he talked uh, in really beautiful depth about grievance Wonderful, man. and the power of grievance. Mm -hmm. and, and I wonder what you think, and maybe there's a historical precedent for the fact that 
For Trump, it's not just about the election. He's waiting and his people are waiting and half of them are angry now and they are millions and tens of millions. And do we have any kind of a reference point in history for what he is doing that for me feels more like Maktada al-Sadr than it does like a presidential candidate because he is focused on building his base and they are waiting to be deployed. So I think it's great that we had no violence this week or, or so far, but, you know, the violent day could be December when Georgia is decided. It could be whenever he says, all of you go to this place. Can you can you share any insights or historical? Yeah, I think I think that? very possibly. And I think we do have to be vigilant, just as we had to be between the election of 2020 and the inauguration of 2021, which because of that insurrection on the 6th of January, that inauguration might not have happened. I mean, I was and I said this in public at the time. I felt that Joe Biden should be inaugurated in a bunker. The optics are terrible, but it was more important for him to survive and be sworn in and give his inaugural address uh, without violence uh, than to do it the usual way. As it turned out, everything turned out fine. But yes, there is still a danger. But I keep on saying, Paul, you know, this could have been a thousand times worse. We could have, when, when I was thinking about what conceivably could happen this morning that when you and I were talking, and this is just guessing because, you know, historians can't predict the future any more than anyone else can. But let's say there were 45, 50, 55 national candidates this morning who we knew lost the election last night but they're saying we really won. Frankly, we did win this election. And you know, let's say that there were people who were uh, gangs and others who supported them, who tried to foment violence. Point I'm making is that this could have gone in a very bad way. Mm. Yes, there are still lingering dangers, but uh, I'm happy to accept a sailboat even if I have not been given a yacht. <laughs> I don't have either wish I did. Michael, I I um I, I we try to think about what's next and not just what's happening. And and it, it seems to me like now we've got this inevitable clash of Trump versus Biden. Now, DeSantis may make a run. I think his run is going to be predicated on the real X factor in this entire matchup scenario, which is the health of both of them, where right. you've got a group of people that are waiting in case Biden dies or gets sick. And you've got a group of people who are waiting in case Trump gets sick or dies. It, you know, they're all watching for a Fetterman type moment. Right. True. And I think that's very possible given their age and health issues. But is in, in your view, although, um, although even there, Paul, uh, you know, look, there are two members of the Senate who had strokes in the last couple of years who were much younger. Right, right. Uh, so, so right, an older person, obviously there's more risk, but unfortunately it can happen to any of us at any age. Well, if the, the presidential, you know, unofficially starts now, right? Mm -hmm. And and everybody's going to be watching what Trump does because he is the great disruptor. I called him President Mayhem. But in your view and, and looking at history, um, is Trump versus Biden inevitable? Is it, is it more likely no. than not? How would you frame up how likely that matchup is at this point? I know you can't, you know, you can't predict the weather, but you have a sure. better sense of this than any pollster. If you're looking at the matchup right now, where are you putting your money on it most likely to be? My instinct is that for the Republican Party, the influence of Trump crested about four o'clock yesterday afternoon on mm -hmm. Election Day. Because that really depended on, you notice that he did not give a speech last night or make another, you know, big public appearance. Uh, I'll ask you a question. I think I know your answer to. Is that because Donald Trump does not enjoy being in public and speaking? Mm. Doesn't enjoy attention? I would say no, no, mm. that's not the reason. He was hoping that all these people who were Trump candidates who would be considered by most people extreme, Bolduc in New Hampshire, you know, I won't run through the whole list, but you know who I mean, that he could have given a press conference this morning or even last night saying, these are my people, they supported my beliefs, even to the point of parroting my views on 
the so-called stolen election of 2020, which of course was not stolen, none of that happened. Mm. So if, if your theory of Trump and the Republican Party is like mine, what I would say is this. A uh, lot of Republican leaders who pretend to support him in public hate him and they fear him. They fear him in all sorts of ways and they are waiting until the moment that he's weakened. It's a little bit like Joseph McCarthy, 1954, the Wisconsin demagogue, who was finally censured by the Senate, but that was four years after McCarthy went around destroying people's lives with false charges that they were communists in government. Uh, but the second that McCarthy seemed vulnerable, he collapsed like a house of cards. Mm. Again, I'm not predicting that with Trump, but there is no way that he could say that election uh, day or election time 2022 was a big vote of confidence and belief in him. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that more likely is that as he continues to be damaged and to have shrunken in stature even since 12, year, uh, 12 hours ago, a lot of people who detest him and would like to see him gone from the Republican Party, Republicans I'm talking about, will begin to say, you know, the wicked witch is not here anymore and mm. we're going to do something else. Mm. I, I think like so many, I'm rooting for the competence and common sense of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, but I'm planning for it not to happen. I and, think that's the best thing that we should all do. And, is, I, and I think so many independents feel the same way because another yeah. side of the untold story, Michael, is I think the, the this independent agrees with you. Yeah. Well, there's also the other part, Michael, is is the balkanization of America where Florida got redder, Ohio got redder, right? Other places got bluer. Um, Maryland got bluer, right? There, there are other places, but the balkanization is starting to happen. So there is a scenario where Trump can kind of represent just part of America that, that believes in his ideology. And, and this, this division could continue to deepen, which I think is a national security issue, but I think it also offers an opportunity. And, and I've been so looking forward to asking you about this. The, the opportunity for independent candidates, in my view, is is strong and rising. Evan McMullen didn't win, but he did better than any non-Republican in Utah in, since I've been born in the, in the mid-70s. Um, you know, people say third party candidates are always spoilers. And I said, well, what if it was The Rock? OK, we have to think outside the box and recognize sure. that past history is 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 not going to drive this new world of politics. Right. So totally. with your understanding of the Ross Perot's and the Mike Bloomberg's and so many others, can you talk about the potential in this environment for independent candidates at the presidential level in particular, but beyond? Uh, I am amazed that at this late date, there has still not been a successful independent candidate for president of the United States or someone who got close. As you know, Ross Perot got 19% in 1992. George Wallace got 13% in 1968 and carried a number of states. So it can, can happen. But this is what I would say. Here we are in a situation where, you know, if a candidate can get on the ballot in 50 states, and that is not, not as hard as it may seem, and can self-fund or raise a lot of money, which is a lot easier in the last 10 years than it ever was in modern times, and can basically be out there and use social media and you know, do other things to make sure that Americans know what he or she thinks, uh, I do not see any barrier to entry for a third-party candidate in the future. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have a situation, just as you have so rightly described, both this morning and elsewhere, where people are angry, people have a right to be angry. Uh, I remember I grew up in northern Illinois outside of Chicago in an area that was heavily dependent on heavy manufacturing, mm. was not too far from U.S. Steel South Works. There were a lot of steel companies south and west of Chicago. Uh, most of which are dead right now. Um, and the moment that it really happened was 2008, when, you know, after the financial crisis, a lot of heavy manufacturing firms went bust, and a lot of CEOs 
took golden parachutes and made tens of millions of dollars, even though it can be argued that a lot of their bad management led these companies to go out of business. And I can remember saying to my wife before the election of, of 2008, if I were one of these guys in those plants, and you know, I knew a lot of their children, went to school with them, if I were one of those people or a member of their family, and my factory was suddenly shut down, and I heard that the CEO was ripping off the company for tens of millions of dollars while, while people who had worked in the factory for 40 years were not even getting, getting a, pro, a proper severance payment, I'd mm-hmm. be irate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if I were in Erie, Pennsylvania, or any of those towns in Pennsylvania, or Ohio, or Illinois that you've been to also, and I saw those hollowed out downtowns, I'd be irate about that too, especially in the background of 2008. So mm-hmm. point I'm making is that that anger was there. It was legitimate. There were not big corporate forms to change this. And as a result, that anger was waiting around for someone to take it. Yep. Uh, and as it turns out, the Donald Trump wonderful pollsters, he knew what was the, you know what kind of words to mobilize them. And he was able to turn that into his movement. Mm. It did not need to be led by Donald Trump. Could have been led by someone more responsible. Mm. Yeah, Michael. I mean, I, I, there's still an option where Trump could be an independent candidate. DeSantis could get the nomination. Someone Very more possible. reasonable. And and Trump is not just going to go away. He's going to take his ball and play on another court. And he's going to be disruptive. And I think you have to think about him as a disruptive force. And in the same way you do with Putin, sometimes his goal is disruption and and chaos. And I've been I've been interested too to unpack how national security did and didn't unfold in this environment because I always refer to you know, maybe one of the strongest possible independent candidates we've seen in recent memory, which would have been Colin Powell. If Colin Powell had run, he could have transcended party in a way in that moment. But last night we saw some. This is 1996. And Bill Clinton has told me and many others that if Colin Powell, they were thinking more of him as a Republican candidate. And that party was so different in 1996, that would have been very possible. But Bill Clinton was praying that Colin Powell would not get into the race because he thinks that that was the biggest threat to him as a second-term president. I, I, I have to defer to him on that one yes. and say, yeah, yeah I mean, it would have been too. our first black president. It would have, you know, he would have been had the potential to be an independent or wherever he had right. gone. He had a unique stature, and I think we saw some some whiffs of that last night. And I want to get your perspective on it because I said last night the ghost of John McCain was strong. There wasn't mm-hmm. a red wave, but there was a camouflage wave. Mm-hmm. And and in, especially in places that were deeply red, deeply blue, you know, places um, uh, like Ron DeSantis in, in Florida, people don't realize he's a Navy vet. You have Tammy Duckworth in, in your in your home state, but you also had J.D. Vance in, in Ohio. You have, right. you know, astronaut Kelly in, in Arizona. And there was, a, I think, uh, a camouflage wave beneath the surface that people haven't accounted totally for. Totally agree. And I'm going to project it out and, and ask you, you know, we used to always say Wes Moore from Maryland, who's now the governor, will be the governor, was going to run for president. And we used to say it could be Wes Moore versus Eric Greitens. Mm-hmm. Eric Greitens was a rising force for a long time. He's now out of politics, at least for now. But now it could be Wes Moore versus Ron DeSantis. And it could be very quickly. It could be as quickly as six years from now. Can you talk about the potential? Why six years? Couldn't it be two years from now? It could be, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I think people you know, are, are too quick to tell people to slow down. But time and time again in this new environment, we've seen them skip ahead so quickly. And DeSantis and Moore may have had the biggest energies uh, of, of what we saw last night on different sides. So can you talk about the possibility of a clash between the two of them, or, or I don't know if there's anyone like them, but I think the two of them in particular. I love the idea of two people with glorious military records running against each other for president. Uh, you know, you look through American history, and until the early 70s, as you know, so this is not during your lifetime, but it is during mine. I was born in the mid-1950s, 1955. and. Uh, in those days, nominees for president were chosen mainly by party leaders and bosses. 
Uh, the downside is that's very exclusive. You know, people do not get to cast votes in primaries under that system. The upside of the old way was that they did a pretty good job in general, not always, but pretty good job of screening out people who were not suited morally to be president. In other words, in our current system, you can have some fake candidate running for office uh, with a lot of money and you know, going to the New Hampshire primary, Iowa caucuses, and all the voters who are choosing this nominee really know about him or her is what they see on TV or on social media. Whereas under the old system, uh, if you wanted to be president, you were probably a fellow senator of the people who would choose you or a fellow governor. And if you were an empty suit or if you did bad things in private, like you know, not keep your deals or not tell the truth, these people would make sure that you never became become president. That's all gone. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that in this day and age, which is more of a free-for-all, we need certain things to tell us that this is a candidate of character mm. and a character that has, who has risked his or her life uh, in the military. I need not say this to you of all people. Uh, it shows you what kind of person you are. And, you know, not every single person has had that experience is a, is a, is a fit leader, but it's one of the markers that we have to look at. Mm. Well, we we go into Veterans Day weekend. Um, we go into Amherst Williams, which which has so much deep. One, I think. History. I think I never heard it. Call, I always heard it called Williams Amherst, and <laughs> I never quite understood: is it Amherst or Amherst? Uh, it's, everyone it's, knows how to pronounce Williams, but not Amherst. Well, it takes a certain level of of, in, uh, of intelligence to be able to pronounce <laughs> it correctly. That, that sometimes, sure. you know, you, if, if you can't get in, there's always the safety school that's easier to pronounce. Right. But 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 as we go into you know a weekend kind of steeped in history, and 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 still, I think I think almost some fragile uh, uh, um, good feelings right now. Sure. Right? I, I think they're fragile. It's kind of this this honeymoon moment for America, and we could be going to some rough times. Um, can you just give any advice for America, your perspective on how we can stay vigilant and prepare ourselves for what may be to come as citizens? Well, I live in D.C. I got to cast a vote yesterday. Why was I able to cast a vote? And that was because brave soldiers, brave Americans risked their lives at Valley Forge and did so in the Civil War and did so in World War One and did so on D-Day and many other places, 1944, and also did so in places like uh, factories where labor unions were trying to, to organize and give people a decent wage. Or Selma, where Martin Luther King and John Lewis and others were marching for voter, voting rights. John Lewis was almost killed on the Edmund Pettus Bridge mm-hmm. on Bloody Sunday Uh, March of 1965. All those people risked their lives so that you and I could vote yesterday. They were not doing it so that someone could have an insurrection in the House of Representatives on the 6th of January last year and try to take down our system. Nor were they doing it so that people could wreck our elections by this morning claiming, the losers claiming that they really won last night. Mm. So I think. I'm just full of optimism. It has nothing to do with ideology. I don't have views on marginal tax rates. <laughs> I don't do health care. It's not what I do. But the one current affairs issue that I'm always obsessed with, and every American has to be, is whether our democracy is going to survive or not. And I would say that what happened on January 6th and some of what some of the uh, people in the society we're talking about for this week mm-hmm. in terms of violence and disrupting or even ending our system of fair elections and flouting the rule of law, those, those are the most conservative ideas on earth. Mm-hmm. And how anyone ever took those conservative ideas of loving liberty, loving democracy, loving rule of law, uh, and loving our election system, which is remarkably free of fraud, how anyone was able to turn that into the radical idea that, you know, if you love America, you should take it all down. 
that was much more in danger yesterday before the votes were counted than this morning as we speak. Mm. Mm. You uh, have been so generous as a thought leader and as a voice of reason, as a professor uh, to, to my students, to me, to our country, to the world in this time. I'm so grateful for, for all that you've done. You've generously agreed to stick around for a couple of extra questions for our Patreon members. So if you're one of those, please stick around. I'm going to ask Michael about his first car and some other interesting points in history. But uh, as, as we close, Michael, I, I just really want to thank you. Um, you've been also a fantastic role model, you know, in, in this cable news world, um, you're a person we can look to that has grace and, and integrity and thoughtfulness. And, and you've been a real role model for me and for our children and for this country when we needed it most. And, and I just want to thank you for all that you've done and all that you'll continue to do. Well, well, thank you, Paul. And you know, I feel that way in every respect about you and and also your listeners, because, you know, when I was talking about the fact that I could vote because of brave Americans, uh, many of the people who were watching and listening to us today, this is you I'm talking about. So thank you for our democracy. I've got two children. Thank God that they will be likely to live up in an American democracy, which I think we were not entirely certain of 24 hours ago. Mm. Well, it's thanks to guardians of that democracy like you. So thank you for all you're doing. Even as a, a Williams guy, I am always happy to speak with you. I, w I wish. Uh, and, and thank you for treating me as an equal. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can continue the, 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 the jousting uh, in the years to come because our, our country will be safe. Thanks to leaders like you. But thank you thank for you. all you do. You. Appreciate you joining us. I hope you'll come thank back you. again and, and stay We'd love vigilant. nothing better. Stay vigilant, my friend. Thank you. Same to you. Michael Beschloss, my deepest thanks to him for joining us on this show. He's a truly great American, a great example of a patriot and a person. Follow him on Twitter, watch him on NBC and PBS, look for him on the sidelines of a Williams game and maybe on your television soon. He's a helper, a true helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Helpers are out there. We see it every single day. Keep looking for them all across America and all across the world. And check the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and social media and share yours with me. If you see someone stepping up in a moment where we need them and inspiring others, share those stories. Use the hashtag look for the helpers and I'll share them far and wide and share them on this show. And while you're on social media avoiding Russian bots and hopefully not paying eight bucks for a blue check mark and not listening to Elon Musk's bullshit, play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. And look at all of you guessing correctly this week. It was a really impressive run. You guys were racking up wins like the Houston Astros. It was really impressive. Speaking of Houston, of course, our man Delfino Sanchez down in Houston, Aldine Tree Services, Houston Stump Grinding. You know he's going to get it. He got it in like minutes after I posted it. He said, could it be the great and powerful Michael Beschloss? And he said, thanks for a great dose of the five eyes last week with Ken Burns. And he said, congrats to guest 186. Stay frosty, my friend from Delfino. Thank you, Delfino. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for all the good feedback on the Ken Burns episode. A lot of you told me it was your favorite episode ever. I continue to be humbled that Ken joined us. He'll join us again. If you haven't heard it, go back and check out the last episode with Ken Burns and share it far and wide and check out the video. We have video on every episode and Ken Burns is a fascinating and amazing guy. And speaking of fascinating and amazing, you guys did continue to guess the guest. Our friend BZ, who's an 82nd Airborne Infantry vet and a high school teacher, he saw the picture that I posted and he said, is that Rumsfeld with presidential historian Michael Beschloss at the Constitution Center in the city of the eight no eagles? And he wrote fly eagles fly. And he said, glad we could deliver a win for Fetterman and Shapiro last night. Yeah, it was a big win for Fetterman and Shapiro in Philly. And yes, the eagles are eight no. And they look damn good. And I can't wait to see them play the Giants. And look, man. It's going to come down to this. It's going to come down to Philly and New York at the end of the year for the playoffs, for the whole thing. And I can't wait. Bring on them Eagles, man. All right. And on more of you continue to win 
more than the Eagles are winning. Andrew Morrison, I'm sorry, man, you missed. You looked more like Houston or the Steelers or the Las Vegas Raiders. You did not get the correct answer, but you continue to try. You said repeating last week's guest, John Meacham. No, our guest was not John Meacham. Maybe he'll join us in the future, but Andrew, thank you for playing. And a couple who got it at the end that I got to give a shout out to our friend Joan Anzelmo. Joan Anzelmo out in Jackson, Wyoming. She's awesome. She's a supporter of America's public lands. She has a long public service career dedicated to caring for our public lands. And I want to give her a shout out because she correctly got Michael Beschloss. Congratulations, Joan. Well done. And thank you for all you do to protect our land. And my old friend, Claire Owens. Claire Owens didn't say exactly who she was guessing, but she did say, OMGGGGGGG, this is going to be one of my faves, and lots of exclamation marks. Claire used to work with me at IAVA. want to give her a shout-out, and a shout-out to your amazing mom and your whole family. Hope you all had a great election day. Well done to all of you. And if you want to do well like the rest of them, go check out independentamericans.us. Check out our website, where you can see video of my conversation with Michael Beschloss, you can also check that out on YouTube. You can see inside his house. You can see video of my conversation with Michael Beschloss. You can also get all our archives, including the episodes with folks like Evan McMullen, Wes Moore, Pat Ryan, and so many others that have been on this show over 196 episodes. You can also see video of other media I've been doing. I've been telling you about News Nation. I was on News Nation with Chris Cuomo on election night. I was also on Spectrum News in Southern California. I've been doing a lot of shows lately, so you can check them out at independentamericans.us. And I will continue to join Join News Nation on Thursdays. I'm going to be on again with Marnie Hughes to talk about Ukraine and to preview Vets Day and probably to talk about how her Seahawks are doing against my Giants. But check out the website and be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening right now. If for some reason you've missed that part of this and you haven't subscribed, take a second, do me a solid and subscribe now. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. And take a second to leave a review. You can also support this show by joining our mighty Patreon community. Shout out to all our Patreon members. You continue to generate this content. You continue to help us bring the five eyes. And you will get extra exclusive content with Michael Beschloss. He stuck around for a special conversation just for you. We talk about his first car. We talk about his favorite drink. We talk about pancakes and waffles. We talk about the 1964 World's Fair. And if you're a patron, for just five bucks a month, you don't have to listen to any ads. But whether you're a patron or not, thank you for helping us continue to bring the five eyes in all our podcasts, videos, and everything we do throughout the election season and in the election seasons to come. We're going to bring you the independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact you've come to love and expect. And it's brought to you by the team that is always winning every election, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz and precise Paula Hernandez, who took a vacation this week. I well-deserved vacation. And it's also brought to you thanks to my amazing wife and two boys who are always at the top of the polls. So first off, as I must every Veterans Day week, I want to wish a very special happy birthday to my beloved wife, Lori. You are the rock of our family. You are the light of our life, and we adore you and want to wish you a very, very happy birthday. This week is my wife's birthday. This week is Veterans Day, and this week was Election Day, and I took my two little boys to Ulster County to the firehouse to vote. And I taught them voting is necessary and important and fun especially when it involves fire trucks and Scantron bubble sheets and the best voting stickers in America. If you saw what I posted on social media or maybe you saw it in the news, Ulster County has this amazing I voted sticker that has a little monster designed by a 14-year-old student that is the best voting sticker in America. But I taught my sons about all of it. I taught them about voting. And I teach them like my immigrant public servant, veteran, poll worker grandfather taught me. And like they'll teach their children. I'll also teach them that voting is not enough. And nobody knows that better than veterans. And every Veterans Day is different. But this one feels 
kind of muted. Maybe it's the election. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe we're all just tired. Maybe it's the perspective of Ukraine. But as with every Veterans Day, all the stories intertwine. And Russia right now is retreating from Kherson. And Ukraine is on the march. And within those forces are American veterans who fought for our country and now fight for Ukraine as our stories continue to intertwine. And American veterans are not only serving, they're dying. Including former U.S. Army Captain Paul Kim, who was killed fighting in a battle against the Russian Army on October 5th in the Kherson region. He spent 12 years in the U.S. Army and served in the 82nd Airborne Division in Iraq. His funeral was held last Friday, November 4th, in his home state of Texas. Paul Kim went by the call sign Kilo, and he said once about why he joined the fight in Ukraine. Unless we stop them here, we'll end up fighting them in the West. And the fateful day for Paul, there was a violent battle, and Ukrainian warriors managed to escape 12 Russians. But the invaders resorted to massive shelling. Artillery, armored vehicles, T-90M tanks all used. And at one point, the Ukrainians found that the American and another Ukrainian soldier did not escape the enemy fire. Paul Kim was about to turn 35. Paul Kim lived and died as a hero. And he believed that Ukraine's fight is our fight. He believed that we're all in this together. And that's a message we all need to remember this Veterans Day, this Election Day, and every day. We are all truly in this together. We're fighting the forces of ignorance and hate and stupidity, and we're greatly outnumbered. But we can win. The good guys and gals can win. In elections, big and small. In the fight for the future of our country and on the battlefields of Ukraine, all across the country and all around the world, and even in the historic Amherst versus Williams game. We can all win against the biggest threats. Russia, extremism, the two-party duopoly, Trump, apathy, indifference, Williams College. We can beat all of them. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in this together, especially after this historic election day and on this Veterans Day. From Raphael Warnock to Herschel Walker, from Wes Moore to Ron DeSantis, from Chris Stapleton to Creedence Clearwater Revival, from Vietnam to Iraq to Ukraine, from Paul Kim to Michael Beschloss, to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Go Amherst. Beat Williams. Happy Veterans Day. And stay vigilant, America. Media.